Hey y'all, it's Candon. Remember when we said that June was the busy month in the tour guide world? Well, this June turned from busy to chaotic, which is a very good problem to have, but it does mean that we are not caught up on all the recording for the summer episodes of Tour Guide Tell All. So what we're going to do is release an old patron-only episode all about the Washington National Cathedral today for everyone. Then we're going to take a little break for the month of July so we can get caught up on recording episodes of Tour Guide Tell All. Now, if you are a patron, there will be a patron-only episode released in July. So if you want to make sure you are getting your Tour Guide Tell All fix, be sure to become a patron. You'll also be able to access all the old patron-only episodes as well. So on behalf of Becca and Rebecca, the Rebeccas, we at Tour Guide Tell All thank you all very much for understanding and we'll see you at the end of summer. In the meantime, if you miss hearing the sound of Becca and Rebecca, you can always come visit us in Washington, D.C. to join us for one of our tours. We will be out every day. Check out what tours are available at dcbyfoot.com. This month, we are working with Andy Bittner, who literally wrote the book on the National Cathedral. He's going to be offering guided tours of this historic and beautiful structure. He'll be offering ticketed tours and shorter name-your-own-price tours, and you can find out all about them in the link in the description. We thought we'd invite him for our special monthly patron-only episode to tell us more about it. So, Andy, tell us all about the National Cathedral. Hi. My name is Andy Bittner. I'm an expert on the Washington National Cathedral building, author of a book called Building Washington National Cathedral, and a professional tour guide. Happily, as a professional tour guide, I've recently begun listing my Washington National Cathedral tours, both public, which are scheduled and ticketed, and private by appointment, with the DC by Foot organization, and now they've allowed me this podcast episode to offer many reasons why you might want to see this amazing building. Personally, I spent over a decade and a half as a hospitality employee with the Cathedral's Visitor Programs Office. And in that role, I personally greeted over one million visitors to Washington National Cathedral in groups of no more than about 50 at a time. As a result of this, I am keenly aware of the first-time visitor experience, and what I can tell you is, for many first-time visitors to Washington National Cathedral, Washington National Cathedral quickly becomes the most amazing building they've ever seen, and for most of those people, that will remain true for the rest of their lives. Now, before I go on about the building, and in deference to the people that built the place, I must point out that Washington National Cathedral is a busy, active, functioning Episcopal Church. As seat of the Episcopal Diocese of Washington, D.C., and seat of the Episcopal Church in the USA, Washington National Cathedral maintains a regular schedule of worship services, many of which, since the COVID crisis began, are also available online. Okay, the building. In no uncertain terms, I personally hold the Washington National Cathedral building as the single most unlikely building on the face of the planet. It was built entirely during the 20th century, took almost the entire century to build, 
And despite being built by 20th century humankind, there's nothing 20th century false to the structure. Structurally, Washington National Cathedral is everything the ancient European Gothic cathedrals are, except ancient. And that being true, it stands every chance of lasting as long as its ancient siblings already have. I think a really good way of looking at Washington National Cathedral, and I do use this reference often, is as an architectural Jurassic Park. It's like Washington National Cathedral is a baby dinosaur born centuries after the rest of the family on the wrong continent. I think the very first impression people have when first seeing Washington National Cathedral is of its size. It is huge. It is one of the top 10 largest churches in the world and second in the United States to a church in New York City called John the Divine. However, John the Divine's not completed and probably never will be, which makes Washington National Cathedral the largest completed cathedral in the United States. It is 150,000 tons of Indiana limestone milled and hand-carved and wrapped around a brick core that must contain at least several million bricks. This is what I mean when I say there's nothing 20th century false to the structure. Washington National Cathedral was built in the same manner as were the ancient Gothic cathedrals. In fact, the only real difference between the construction of Washington National Cathedral and the construction of Notre Dame Paris would be the power source for the tools. They had cranes back then. Those cranes might have been powered by five guys in a hamster wheel or four oxen walking around a post, but they had cranes. At Washington National Cathedral, the power source for the cranes ranged from steam to diesel electric, and of course, back then, a stone carver making 100 strokes on a stone sounded like dink, dink, dink 100 times. Nowadays, the stone carvers use powered air hammers, and 100 strokes sounds like brrrr and takes just a few quick seconds. In the end, however, it is still 100 strokes on a stone with a metal chisel. So, while we consider the tools and engineering necessary to build the ancient Gothic cathedral churches, and are amazed that they were accomplished so long ago, consider this. When the ancient Gothic cathedrals were built seven to 800 years ago in Northwest Europe, they may not have had air hammers and diesel electric cranes, but they solved their power problems with manpower. And with a major example of one of these buildings rising in almost every large town, the people that knew each phase of the work were everywhere to be found. For me, the fact that during the 20th century, the Washington National Cathedral Project was able to convene and maintain a group of people that could do the necessary work over the 83 years that it took to complete the building seems far less likely than the fact that they could find enough manpower to do the work in Europe during the medieval era. The original plan for the Gothic Washington National Cathedral was created by two eminent Gothic revivalists, George Frederick Bodley and Henry Vaughan, both of whom were older men when they were hired. 
Bodley would die just one month after the setting of the cathedral's foundation stone in 1907, and Vaughn would pass less than 10 years later. That brings us to Philip Hubert Froman, the man who will be given the lion's share of the credit for the Washington National Cathedral building and, perhaps, become known as the architect of record for the 20th century due to the potential for longevity in his great masterpiece building. Froman took an interest in the proposed Washington Cathedral at the age of seven. He was living with an aunt in Pasadena, California, when he learned it would happen. The year was 1894. In 1898, Hubert Froman walked into the admissions office at Throop Polytechnic Institute, the taproot school that would become Caltech, and enrolled for a course in architecture. He was 11 years old and explained himself with, I'm going to be a church builder. Hubert Froman designed his first fully functional home at the age of 14 and received his architecture degree at the age of 16. In 1907, the year of Washington National Cathedral's foundation stone, Hubert Froman became the youngest person in the history of the state of California, which may mean in the history of the entire nation, to ever have an architectural license. He was 20. Now, begging questions that are probably unanswerable, like maybe, what was it about this guy? Was he shiny? Did he have a halo? Within a year of earning his license, History tells us that Hubert Froman is the named senior partner of a Southern California architectural firm, Froman and Martin, with a staff of older architects doing the drawing work on his earliest plans as he began dotting Southern California with little churches. In 1914, at the age of 27, Hubert Froman visited Europe for the first time where he learned what he believed were some important idiosyncratic truths about Gothic architecture. On his return trip, he visited Henry Vaughan in Boston and then visited Washington's Cathedral, which was basically the first crypt-level chapel, Bethlehem Chapel, and a big muddy hole in the ground. And although he felt Bethlehem Chapel was immediately the most beautiful Gothic structure in the United States, he learned that the much older Gothic revivalists had, apparently, missed out on the idiosyncratic truths he had learned, and he considered that a fault. On returning to California, Hubert Froman wrote a paper called Suggested Visual Refinements to the Plan for Washington's National Cathedral, and he sent it. Within a few more years, Vaughn would be dead, the cathedral would be without an architect, and seven years after he visited, Hubert Froman returned to the National Cathedral property at 34 years of age, and as senior partner of the firm Froman, Robb, and Little, signed the contract that would make him senior architect of the Church of His Dreams. After signing, Froman turned to the people in the room and suggested someone find the guest book he would have signed on his visit seven years earlier. When the book was retrieved, Froman flipped through the pages until he found the page he had signed and pointed at a coded message in the comments box. That, he said, was my prayer that I be the architect of this building. 
Although he wouldn't live to see the building finished, Froman would continue as the cathedral's senior architect for over 50 years and completed the cathedral plan before he passed. Across those 50 years, Froman continued to dot the nation with smaller churches while he also worked on his cathedral masterpiece and as a result of this and the fact that the 20th century was the first full century of relatively rapid travel, I think Hubert Froman was probably the most prolific builder of religious structures in human history. So, when it was finished, and being the unique building that it was, how long do you think it will last, was a prevailing question. For an answer, the people at Washington National Cathedral had their building wired up with motion-sensing equipment, sensitive down to the micron level, connected that equipment to a lab at the University of Pittsburgh, and commenced a 10-year, 24-hour-a-day study of motion in their supermassive masonry building. The data was fascinating. It was learned that the central bell tower, the Gloria in Excelsis Tower, actually sways when the heavy peel bells are swinging. And the facade of the south transept actually leans out toward the sun every day and back again every night. All of this would have been in addition to the expected movement caused by soil compaction and settlement. At the end of the study, the data set was provided to a man named Professor Robert Mark, a Princeton engineering professor who was, arguably, the world-leading authority on Gothic architectural structure. When Professor Mark returned from analyzing the data, his top-level declaration was that, as long as earthquakes or mankind don't knock this building down, this building will stand, without further reinforcement, for the better part of the next two millennia. Now, think about that for a moment. That's an entirely 20th century building with the physical wherewithal to last nearly 2,000 years. Think about it again. Frankly, I'll give you the rest of my life to name me one other entirely 20th century beautiful building likely to last and I'll give you a break here, half that time. I'll wait. If there is another such a building, I'm not aware of it. Construction at John the Divine has stretched from late in the 19th century to already early in the 21st, as has construction at the amazing Gaudi Church, the Sagrada Familia, in Barcelona, Spain. Further, Combine the potential longevity of the structure with the fact that humankind has long shown a tendency, having expended an effort of the Washington National Cathedral magnitude, to take care of that effort for a very long time. In fact, the use of the building may change with time. I mean, the Pantheon in Rome is no longer a place to worship all of ancient Rome's pagan gods. It's now being used as a Christian church, but mankind is still taking loving care of it. 
the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, built over 1,500 years ago as the largest church in Christendom, has recently been used as a museum and is now being used as a mosque. Nonetheless, the Hagia Sophia is still being lovingly cared for. I think we have every reason to believe the same will be true for Washington National Cathedral, at least that it will be lovingly cared for. I think we have every reason to imagine that someday Washington National Cathedral, whether it's still a church or a zipline park, will be the last entirely 20th century building on the planet. Now, back for a moment to the ancient Gothic cathedrals. The ancient Gothic cathedrals tend to be of a very clearly defined family, not only architecturally, but in terms of what the family was built to do. The vocation of most of the ancient Gothic buildings is, or was, obviously, church. But the family developed an avocation too. It turns out the avocation for the ancient Gothic great churches would be to become a time capsule for the period in which they were built. I mean, much of what we know now about day-to-day life in medieval Europe has come to us in the form of pictures in the stained glass windows in these churches. Think about it. Say, the Cobbler's Guild gives a window, in which case the primary imagery is, of course, religious, but at the same time, they included three medallions across the bottom of the window depicting people make shoes, and there it is we learn how they made shoes in medieval times. Combine that reality, the time capsule avocation, with the potential for longevity in the Washington National Cathedral building, and I think it is completely logical to imagine that the Washington National Cathedral building will not only be the last entirely 20th century building on the planet, it will also be the lasting time capsule for that century. So, anyway, what is the experience of walking into Washington National Cathedral for the first time? Truth is, I couldn't tell you. My very first visits were when I was an infant, and rather than there being a first experience for me, Washington National Cathedral has just always been in my life. That is why I so vicariously watch newcomers walking into the cathedral's main room And what I've learned is that this place is truly an experience for everyone. People walk in and gasp. Some people cry. Others will reflexively put their hands over their hearts or over their mouths. It's an all-ages experience, too, for very small infants, even just a few weeks old. The interior of the cathedral and its incredible collection of stained glass is more light and color than they've ever seen in their life. Even if their eyes aren't fully focused out yet, little tiny babies will kick, coo, and be generally more animated than their parents have ever seen. Now, toddlers and young kids will thrill to the patterns in the stone floor. They will hopscotch and balance beam their way around the room. After that comes the climbing phase. That's something that just has to be controlled. 
I'll admit, I figured it out young. Nothing on that building is as climbable as it looks. Once kids have reached the middle years of elementary school, they are old enough to be as amazed as anyone with the information available in the art, architecture, and history. I'll also tell you this. If you bring smaller children, say, toddler through early elementary, the word castle is a hook. So, frankly, at Washington National Cathedral, there's more information available in the art and architecture of the building than any one human could absorb in a lifetime. I've been working at it for over 50 years, and I don't know half. In fact, it's so pronounced, I wonder whether it was deliberate. A building like Washington National Cathedral is supposed to evoke for people something of heaven. Heaven, I would imagine, if there is one, would have to be of an infinite nature. That leads me to wonder whether anyone in the planning and design of the Washington National Cathedral actually considered that the inclusion of as little as five minutes more information than any human could ever absorb would render the building infinite to anyone walking in no matter how many times they walked in. All of that information is very carefully ordered, too, in a number of magnificently imagined iconographic schemes. That means almost everything means something, is where it is for a reason, and the reason it is where it is usually relates to why the things around it are where they are. I didn't know the word iconography when I was a child, but by the time I was 10, I'd started thinking of the Washington National Cathedral building as the 10 kajillion piece jigsaw puzzle. And I've been storing the data that way ever since. For all of that, I guess I can proudly pronounce I've probably finished the edge. In the end, any first visit to Washington National Cathedral properly done will include the realization that to see more, you're just going to have to keep coming back and back and back. I hope you'll keep that in mind as you plan your trip to Washington, D.C., and I hope you'll take the time to come and see me at Washington National Cathedral. If you want to learn more, be sure to take a guided tour with Andy sometime or buy his book, Amazon link in the description. Becca and Rebecca will be back next week with a brand new episode. Wait, that's not true. We will see you at the end of the summer, unless you're a patron, and then we'll see you for one episode in July. Thanks all for listening and for understanding, and we will see you in a few weeks.